morning. It's good to see you all out. Thank you so much for being here. It's been a wonderful opportunity to worship together already this morning, and we're going to continue in our worship to God together as we open up the Bible and we study from His Word. I appreciate John's prayer at the beginning of our service as he talked about the importance of truly letting God speak to us and recognizing what it is that we're opening up, what it is that we're reading, and my hope and my prayer is that the time we spend together this morning and study will be beneficial as we seek to grow closer to God and have a better understanding of his word and his will for us. You can open up your Bibles to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9 is where we're going to spend uh, the entirety of our time together this morning. I had a wonderful title for this lesson and beautiful slot. No, I, I had a slide. I had slides, but they were nor, not creative nor uh, wonderful. So uh, we'll just have to go the old-fashioned route. You'll just have to listen for the main points uh, from the sermon this morning, as they won't be behind me as they typically are. But Daniel chapter 9 is where we're going to spend our time together. And Daniel chapter 9 records for us in the first 19 verses a prayer of Daniel. And we're going to read that in just a moment. I know if you're in the Daniel Revelation class, you actually just covered this passage a week or two ago. And it was actually in conversation with Jeremy as he was telling me about that class that this idea was born. And uh, so I know you guys have had some good discussion about this chapter already, and hopefully we can just build on that this morning. But as Daniel prays here in Daniel chapter 9, he gives us a little bit of context into uh, the time and and where he is in his life, where the people of Israel are in their journeys. And we can see as we begin Daniel chapter 9 that this takes place in the first year of Darius. And what that tells us, if you do a little bit of study into the history of things, is it tells us that Daniel is no longer the young man (laughs) that he was when he first came to Babylon. When Daniel first came to Babylon, he was most likely a teenager, a young man of sorts, but that was almost 70 years ago at this point. Daniel is most likely in his 80s, if not older, at this point. He has seen a lot, he has experienced a lot. And not only that, but in the context of how much time has passed, we're also told that while in Babylon, he has had the opportunity to read some of the things that Jeremiah the prophet had written in regards to Israel's captivity. And we had read for us just a moment ago what Jeremiah specifically had written about Israel's time in Babylon in Jeremiah chapter 25. And Daniel, as Jeremiah did, clearly understands as he begins to do a little bit of math in his head that the time of Israel's captivity in Babylon is coming to an end. And that means the people are going to get to go back to Jerusalem. That means they're going to get to rebuild. Because that's the promise that God has made. That is the prophecy that he had given to Jeremiah. And so it's with that in mind that Daniel prays to God. And I want you to keep the context of this in mind. We're going to read this prayer together But the backdrop for this is very important, and I think it's going to inform some of the points that we're going to make this morning about what Daniel has to say. So let's read this together, the first 19 verses of Daniel chapter 9. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, 
In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Then I set my face toward the Lord to make request by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments, we have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and to our princes, to our fathers, and all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us, shame of face, as it is this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those near and those far off in all the countries to which you have driven them because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. O Lord, to us belong shame of face, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord, our God, belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. And he has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our judges, who judged us by bringing upon us a great disaster. For under the whole heaven, such has never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us. Yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God, that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept this disaster in mind and brought it upon us, For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name as it is this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. Because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are reproach to all those around us. Now, therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications. And for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God. For your city 
and your people are called by your name. That is, that is beautiful in so many ways. You can just feel the emotion on Daniel's part as he prays to God, thinking about the last 70 years, what he has gone through, what his people have gone through, but even looking back before then, what led them to captivity in the first place. Daniel, a righteous man, a God-fearing man, a man who has tried his best to serve God in whatever situation he found himself in. And yet he prays to God, and his prayer is, Lord, we have sinned. Lord, we have turned our backs on you. Lord, we have committed iniquities. Lord, we are a reproach to those around us. Daniel gives us a great example of what it truly means to be a godly leader among ungodly people. But it's not his leadership qualities, although they are many, that I want to talk about this morning. There are a few specific things within this prayer that I want us to focus in on. And the first one that I want you to consider is his use of the word shame. Multiple times in this relatively short prayer, Daniel talks of the shame that belongs to the people of Israel. You know, Jeremy used this word and this idea in his sermon last Sunday morning as he spoke of what we wear and the shame that we should feel if we expose ourselves in inappropriate ways. That was on my mind as I read this prayer over the course of this week. And I began to think about what it really means to feel shame. And I think our culture has trained us to be very sensitive to that word. But I want to suggest to you that the way our culture tends to use that phrase and why it's a word that we tend to avoid is very different in context to what's being used here in Daniel chapter 9. The people are not being shamed. No one else is bringing shame upon them for something they have done. What Daniel is expressing is an ownership of shame because he recognizes that as a nation, they have chosen their lowly will over the almighty God's will. And they should feel shame because of that. What Daniel is expressing, and the biblical idea of shame as it relates to sin, is not shame that's being cast upon someone. It's shame that we feel when we violate God's will. Because we understand who God is, and we understand who we are. And shame on me for trying to assert myself above him. 
You see, shame is actually, in many ways, a gift that God has given to us. It can serve as a regulator for us. And the deeper our relationship and our connection with God becomes, the more powerful that shame will be when we violate his law. Because I recognize that I have put myself in a position that only God belongs. I recognize that he has set boundaries for me that are for my good and for my protection, and I have chosen to step outside of those. And when I truly understand what I've done, I should feel shame. And that shame should regulate my behavior. It should encourage me to make the corrections that I need to make, to put God back in His place, and to put myself back in mine. It's a lesson that the people of Israel had struggled with for generations in a lot of ways. In fact, Daniel referenced Jeremiah. Turn back to Jeremiah chapter 6, as Jeremiah writes about the people of Israel, listen to what he says in Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse number 15. Were they, talking about the people of Israel, were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No. No, they were not at all ashamed. Nor did they know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. At the time I punish them, they shall be cast down, says the Lord. They didn't know how to blush. When they committed abomination, they weren't ashamed at all. And what was the result of that? They will fall among those who fall. They will be punished. They will be cast down. The inability to feel shame when we know we have sinned is an element of pride in our lives. We are too proud to either admit sin or we are too proud to even recognize that we have sinned. God has given us a gift to help us recognize what sin does and the danger that it is to our lives and to our relationship with God. And Daniel here prays in regards to that shame. God, to you belongs righteousness To us belongs shame. It was Daniel's hope and Daniel's prayer that the people had learned their lesson because 70 years prior, they were unable to even feel shame when they sinned. Now, Daniel knows that God is going to fulfill his promise and he's going to send the people back to Jerusalem and they're going to have another opportunity to serve God and to build his city and to be his people. 
And I hope this time they've learned the value of shame. And I hope for us, we can see the value of shame and the gift that it is in our lives. So that if we sin, if we step outside of God's will, we are ashamed of that behavior. And it encourages us and it motivates us and it drives us back to Him. Back to the Father who loves us, who cares for us, and who wants what's best for us. And that is the second point that I want us to consider this morning. That David, or Daniel, excuse me, recognized that God wants what's best for us. But he doesn't stop there. Because his understanding and his recognition that God wants what's best for us in turn means that Daniel wants what's best for God. Did you catch that in the prayer? Look again at verses 15 and following. And now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name as it is to this day, we have sinned and done wickedly. O Lord, according to your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city of Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because of our sins and our iniquities. Verse 18, O my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. We'll finish that verse here in just a moment. But did you see where Daniel continually puts ownership? These are your people. This is your city. This is your mountain. This is your name and your reputation. Moses does almost the very same thing when he prays to God on two different occasions, in Exodus chapter 32 and in Numbers chapter 14. In both of those instances, Moses prays to God on behalf of the people because they are sinning. In Exodus chapter 32, he prays in regards to their sin with the golden calf. And in Numbers chapter 14, it's because they're afraid to go into the promised land. And both times, God tells Moses, I'm about done with these people. I'm going to wipe them out and we'll start anew with you. And Moses says, God, you don't want to do that. Think about your reputation among the people. These are your people that you have brought out of captivity. These are your people that you have made promises to. And God changed his mind. Because Moses pleaded to God for his sake, for God's sake. Moses, Daniel, even Jesus in the garden when he prayed, Lord, your will be done. There is an understanding among these great men of faith that God truly wants the best for us, but in turn, we should want what's best for God. 
And so sometimes when we pray, God, your will be done, we need to make sure we understand what we're praying for. I am not praying for my will to be done, God. I am praying for your will to be done. I am praying for you to be glorified. I am praying for you to be honored. Those prayers hit a little bit differently when you think about what you're truly saying to God. Because God, if that means that the answer to my prayer is no, okay, I'm ready to accept that. Because I know you want what's best for me. And in all things, I want your will to be done. It's one thing to say that. It's another thing in a moment of emotion, in a moment of fear, in a moment of anxiety, or uncertainty, to have that same level of confidence as we pray. But Daniel is a great example of a man who understands this principle. And what Daniel wants is for his will and for God's will to align. And that ultimately should be what we want as well. God, I want my will to conform to yours. God, I want you to be glorified in all things. And I trust and I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you want what's best for me. That, that is a picture of what trust and faith is truly meant to be. That we can lay all that at the feet of God and trust him. The last point I want to make this morning is found in verse 18. There where I said we'd finish that verse here in just a moment. We're going to do that now. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. Daniel understood that our requests are heard because of God's mercy and not our righteousness. Even Daniel, the great man of faith, Even he understood. My supplications, my prayers, my requests, they're only heard because of God's mercy toward me. We've been talking in our Bible class here of late about the power of communicating with God in prayer, and we've looked at several biblical examples of of men who were open and honest and vulnerable with God in their prayer life. And I think in each of these situations, in order to be that vulnerable with God, in order to say things like, Lord, incline your ear, open your eyes, God, please listen to me, there has to first be an understanding that the only reason that the creator of the universe is willing to listen to anything that I have to say is because of his mercy toward me. But it's that mercy, it's that mercy comforts me and assures me that he does listen and he is willing to incline his ear to hear what's on my mind and on my heart what am I dealing with what requests do I have he wants us to take those things to him he wants to listen to our prayers he is that merciful he is that 
loving. And there is no amount of goodness, there is no amount of godliness, there are no number of good deeds that I could ever do to demand the attention of God. But he graciously gives it to me. I can only imagine as I think about the situation that Daniel was in, what was going through his mind, as he thinks about the sin that the people of Israel have committed in the past, thinking about the promises that God has made to them, thinking about where they are on that timeline and what's about to come. This is a time where Daniel wants God's ear. He needs God to listen to him. And so he is sure to express to God, God, I know, I know that I have no business demanding this of you, but I know that you want to listen to your people. And because of that, he has the confidence to approach him the way that he does. And because of that, you and I should have the confidence to approach him in prayer as well. We should approach him in prayer because he invites us to. We should approach him with requests and concerns that are on our minds because he wants us to. Because he loves us, because he's merciful to us, and because he wants what's best for us. As we start to draw this lesson to a close, I want us to just give some consideration to what God's word does for us. I think we get a snapshot here in Daniel chapter 9 of what God's word did for Daniel. Because remember, he started all of this off by saying, I've read what Jeremiah the prophet wrote about this. You see, he, he had heard, he had read what God had told Jeremiah in regards to the outcome of what would happen with the people. And it's that hearing and that believing and that understanding that led Daniel to pray a prayer like this, to have the confidence in approaching God the way that he does, to be willing to acknowledge and confess sin to God the way that he did, and to have the confidence and the boldness to take all of this to God, knowing that he wants what's best for him and he wants what's best for his people, and he can deliver. But it all started with an understanding of what God had said, an understanding of the promises that he made. See, we're in the same situation today. The specifics are different, but we're in the same situation today. God, through his prophets and through his inspired writers, has given us promises has given to us his will for us. And it should instill within us a confidence that if God says it, that's what's going to happen. Daniel knew that at this point, because of the time frame of things, that it was time for Israel to go back. When I think about where we are today, Think about some of the promises that God has made to us. He has promised that one day Christ will return. 
And when he does, this world will be done away with. He has promised that one day every single one of us will stand in judgment. He has promised us, promised us, that if we give our lives to him, he will forgive us, he will keep us, he will protect us, and he will lead us from this physical world that we're living in to the eternal spiritual one that awaits. That's a promise that God has made. And so just like with Daniel, it is my hope and it is my prayer that an understanding, a recognition, a reminder of those promises spurs us to action. If you realize that you are living a life of sin right now, I hope that the gift of shame is in your heart. I hope that it drives you back to God and to the relationship with him that he wants you to have. I hope that you understand that he wants what's best for you. He wants to save you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to wrap you in his arms and have you be a part of his family. And at the end of the day, all of this, the ability that we have to read his word, the ability that we have to approach him in prayer, the opportunity that we have to be a child of his, it's all because of his mercy toward us. What a wonderful gift that is. What an amazing gift that he has given to us. It's my hope this morning that if there's anyone here that needs to take advantage of that gift, to give your life over to God, to become a child of his in baptism, he is mercifully waiting and pleading for you to do that. And if you've done that in the past, maybe you've turned back to the world and back to sin, I hope that shame will dwell within you so that you turn back to God and can have that sin taken away and once again live free and joyfully in his presence. And if we can help you in any way to do any of that this morning, please come to the front and let us know as we stand and sing.